0: Up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill His promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar. And the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn? But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, be diligent to be found in him without spot or blemish and at peace. And count the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you, according to the wisdom given to him, as he does in all his letters when he speaks in them of these matters. There are some things in them that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction as they do the other scriptures. You, therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you are not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your stability. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the glory, both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. That is the word of God. Going to be praying for the blessing for the rest of this service, that God's spirit will go out. We're also going to be praying for my parents as they're traveling be praying that our ministry here keeps growing. I also want to pray this, you know, I've been noticing the last few weeks, our giving has not been up to the level that it should be. So I want to pray also a challenge and offer a challenge to every soul in here to give. You know, if you in here, first of all, let's just let's talk about some. If you're in here and you're not giving, that's a shame. You're taking advantage. If you come here, you ought to give. Now if you are giving and you're not giving your full part you come here and you give your five or your ten bucks, that's good but here's the thing this ministry needs to keep going and it's not going to keep going unless you also increase your faithfulness you need to increase your faithfulness in your giving and then if you are faithful in your giving you've been given ten percent you've been given sacrificially keep on giving and pray for those who are not being quite as faithful. I'm not putting the burden on those who already give to give even more. I'm putting the burden of those who don't give or don't give enough to give and be faithful. Amen? We ain't going to be sitting here praying for Elon Musk to join us in the membership so the rest of us don't have to give. He give us 10% then we don't have to give for the rest of the year. No, we're not doing that. We're praying that you be faithful that you do what god told you to do amen Amen. all right let's pray dear lord we thank you we thank you it's a privilege to be able to be in this church it's a privilege to hear your word. It's a privilege to be amongst your people and we ought to be willing to invest in that lord i pray that you would just help us to put our money where our faith is there's some in this room who don't give you know who they are lord I pray, Lord, that you would just open their hearts, Lord, to be willing to obey your will. This ministry needs to continue forward, and it continues forward as we give. We know the pastor ain't sitting here taking that money and buying a plane, buying Versace robes. He's not that kind of pastor. We know this ministry is not taking that money and wasting it on programs and all kinds of stuff that do not have any effect. We're not doing that. We're keeping this building running. We're paying our pastor a wage that's actually less than it should be. And we're keeping the things here running. So I pray, Lord, you will bless us to be faithful. Be faithful to keep this ministry going as it's been going on since 1994. Through ups and downs, through church splits, through attacks from the outside and inside, through Satan trying to destroy us, you've kept us alive, Lord. So let us not perish because of the faithfulness of our own people. Help us to be faithful. And I pray for the rest of this service, Lord, that your Holy Spirit will guide us, that you will empower us, Lord, that you will empower this word that I'm going to preach, Lord, that I also might hear it, Lord, that I also will be guided by your word. And I pray that you bless the choir singing, Lord, that they will sing their hearts out, Lord, that their worship will be something that will stay with us for the rest of the week. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. May be seated. Calling for the choir. Amen. Hear the word of the Lord. I thank God that he uh, gave me a word and put it on my mouth. You know, we've had an increased interest in the end times. Uh, We got two Sunday school classes on the end times. We got my class going through Revelations we got brother Dale's class going through the book of Daniel. And we've been talking about the end times. And there's a reason for interest in the end times. It's because we've noticed a downward trend in morality and outcomes in economies. We've noticed that the world has not been a good place to live in. At least It's been going down. A lot of people have noticed the wars, like the war in Ukraine. And then there's rumors of wars. You got this war being rumored to start between China and Taiwan. You got rumors of starvation going on in places across the world. And the more you look into it, the more you realize it's not a conspiracy. These things are actually happening. And so what happens is people have an increased interest in hearing about the end times because they feel like they're living in the end times. And so every once in a while, people will come to me and they'll want to talk about the end times. And whenever they do, I got to admit to you, I suppress a deep sigh. Because a lot of times when people have an interest in the end times, it appears to me that they don't have any interest in the things of God. They just want to express their curiosity. But when you go through the scriptures, the scriptures talk a lot about the end days. And so what I want to do is I want to give you a word of warning and also encourage you, yes, look into these things. But the word of warning is, listen to the scriptures. Listen to the scriptures. A couple years ago, I had a brother come to me, and he was offended. I gave a sermon, and I think I said one line about a rapture or something like that, not being, I didn't think it was true anymore. And he was deeply offended by that. He didn't listen to nothing else I said. He just heard that. And what had happened was, as we talked I realized it didn't matter to this brother what the scriptures said. He just loved that idea of the rapture. and He didn't care what arguments was for or against it. He just wanted to believe it. And so I tell you, listen to the scriptures. Other times people are digging and searching. They're looking on every YouTube video for this and for that. They want to know what this pastor says and what that pastor says. Don't listen to them. Listen to the scriptures. Other times, people have all these different systems of how they think the end should work, and they got seven years for that, and this separation in Israel's forty-nine years, and all these numbers. And at the end of the day, I say, listen to the scriptures. You know, the Book of First, the Second Peter, and First Peter both focus on this theme of listening to the scriptures. In Chapter One of Second Peter, he talks about being diligent. To trust in the promise of God. And then God will provide an entrance to us into heaven. And right after that, at the end of chapter 1 and getting into chapter 2, he starts talking about how God's word is the absolute truth. How it's the prophetic word is confirmed. How he heard it himself on the mountain when God said, This is my beloved son, listen to him. And then Peter got downright mad. Because he started talking about these false prophets, these false teachers. And he was angry, and he was saying in so many words that God's word is the truth, but false teachers will deny it and his author. But God knows how to deal with them. God knows how to deal with them. And coming on the heels of dealing with these false prophets, understanding the truth of God's word, he gets into chapter 3. And he starts discussing the end. And the very first lesson that he wants them to live is be diligent and trust in God's word, despite and because of the scoffers. Look at that very first section, the verse seven verses. Verse one, he says, this is now the second letter that I'm writing to you, beloved. And both of them, I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior through your apostles. I want you to remember what you've been taught. Remember what you've been taught. This was his purpose in both the books, and he wants them to know, I'm stirring you up. I'm taking my ladle. Yeah, I'm taking my ladle, and I'm stirring up your mind. Now, only a sincere mind can be sincerely stirred. So he's stirring up sincere people, and he's trying to tell them this. Remember. Remember what? Remember the predictions of the prophets and the commands of the apostles. What's the prediction of the apostles, the the predictions of the prophets? That is the Old Testament. Remember the Old Testament teachings. Remember how they look forward to what? To Christ's return. Look at the commands of the New Testament. That's how he calls the New Testament. He just calls them the commands of the apostles. And what is it described as? It's church. The church is commanded to prepare for Christ's return. Because all scripture points to the return of Christ. I want you to listen to this series of passages. Deuteronomy 18, 18. 18, I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command him. And whoever will not listen to my words that he shall speak in my name, I myself will require it of him. Psalm one ten five. the Lord is at your right hand. He will shatter kings on the day of his wrath. Isaiah two eleven. the haughty looks of man shall be brought low, and the lofty pride of men shall be humbled. And the Lord alone will be exalted in that day. Joel 2.31. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon to blood before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. Amos 5.18. Woe to you who desire the day of the Lord. Why would you have the day of the Lord? It is darkness, not light. Acts 2.20. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. 1 Thessalonians 5.2 For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. All of God's word speaks of the end days. It all speaks to that. It all points to that. In the Old Testament, they call something, they say, the day. And if I, you listen to the passages that I read, you'll notice there's one passage, and I could have pointed out way more than this, one passage from the books of Moses, the first five books. I got the Psalms. I could have did so many Psalms, but I mentioned the Psalms. I mentioned the major prophet, Isaiah. I mentioned a minor prophet, Joel. I mentioned Amos, who's also a minor prophet. I looked at the apostles' writings, Acts, and then Paul's writings, 1 Thessalonians. My point is that all the scripture speaks to this. So when Peter says, remember the scriptures, he is pointing to you something something that we often miss that scripture is pointing us to a day and you know the scripture is very clear about what that day is like he's telling us this that day is inevitable That day is something that all the scripture preach about because it is our focus. It should be our focus. It's not an object of curiosity. It's a topic of certainty. Look at verse 3 and 4. He says, knowing this, first of all, that scoffers will come. Scoffers going to come. The scripture predicts this. I want to look at another series of passages. And this is just from the Old Testament prophets. Look, these are all about scoffers. He says, Isaiah says, look at those who say, let him be quick. Let him speed his work that we may see it. Let the counsel of the Holy One of Israel draw near. They let it come that we may know it. They're talking sarcastically to Isaiah. They say, ooh, if you are so good, let him do it now. Jeremiah 17, 15. Jeremiah's complaining to God. This is what he says. Behold, they say to me, where is the word of the Lord? Let it come. Ezekiel 12:22 God is speaking to the prophet. He says, "Son of man, what is this proverb they have about the land of Israel saying the days grow long and every vision comes to nothing?" Whoa, they was talking some bold stuff. They were saying, "Man, you talking all that stuff, Ezekiel, but we haven't seen it come true yet." Malachi 2:17. Malachi says, "You have wearied the Lord with your words. But you say, how have we wearied him?" By saying everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord and he delights in them. Or by asking, where is the God of justice? Scoffers will come! That's the very first prediction that you got to know and it proves the scriptures to be true. Scoffers are going to come. What is a scoffer? A scoffer is somebody who attempts to undermine the teachings of God with their mockery. Right? They don't necessarily always have a solid argument. But they like to make fun and poke fun and put shame on God. Think about when the prophet Elisha was walking around and what they say, go on up, you bald head, right? And we laughing at that. Why we laugh? Because they making fun of his bald head, right? And we all know that's a little bit funny, but are are they saying your prophecies don't come true? They didn't say that. You don't do miracles, Elisha? They didn't say that. I can give a point-by-point refutation of every argument you've made, Elisha? Nope. You got a ballhead, head. Right? They want to make you laugh at the things of God. And what happens when you laugh at it? You feel a little bit ashamed and sheepish that you believe it, right? That's what they want to do. And they ask questions like, is the Lord really coming back? You know, the Lord promises back in you know twenty seven, A.D. and it's soon gonna be twenty twenty seven, A.D. When is this all gonna come true? I was in a philosophy class when I was in college, and they said, you know, Paul was preaching like the Lord was gonna return during his lifetime. Two thousand years have passed; he still ain't returned. That's what they said. And what you need to understand is when they say that, they only confirm the Scriptures. They don't undermine it because Scripture said that they would come. You know what? They're kind of like the serpent in the garden. You ever notice that the serpent in the garden, he didn't really refute what God said. He just said, did he really say? See, Satan liked to do that, right? Is it really so wrong? You really got to go every Sunday? You really got to read that? Right? He don't necessarily give you an answer. He just want to ask questions. And people often say that I'm just asking a question, right? And people have foolishly said, well, there are no bad questions. Yes, there are. There are questions that attempt to undermine, but they pretend to be honest. That's how Satan do, right? Oh, I'm just trying to learn. Every question is trying to challenge. But Peter says, you know, they deliberately overlook the facts. See, they miss four key facts. The first one is that this world was created by God. I thank God for our truth seekers. They learn a lot about creation. And what we need to understand is the first fact is that God created the world. He created it by the word of his power. And no science has refuted that. I know, I know. You say that to people and they say, well, you know, what about this and what about this evolution and this and that? And every day more facts come in that refute their theories. They don't want to hear it. Every day we hear something that's foolish. We sit there and say to ourselves, what would be so hard about believing that God created the world? What would be so hard about believing that the reason that we can even pursue science is because we believe in an orderly world, that God created the rules that naturally follow? What's so hard about believing that because we have a rational world is because we have a rational God? Nope. Nope. It's all chaotic, but somehow it's got these orderly rules. That makes no sense. The second thing that they overlook is that the world was destroyed by God in a flood. This world was already judged once. And this is a fact. And some people might say, well, you know, Brian, that's a myth. No, it's not a myth. Tell me why there's fossils on the top of mountains. Tell me why the world is so filled with oil when we know oil is produced by living things that were buried very quickly in water. Tell me how that could be in the deep deserts that we have right now when we know not not a lot of life lives in deserts. But you dig deep enough in the deserts in the Middle East and you find tons of oil. Does that mean a lot of life was living there once? And it was buried very, very quickly. I was watching a nature show and they talked about all these woolly mammoth fossils that we have. We know why they happened. All these woolly mammals tried to make a bridge across the river. So one of them died on purpose and then the other one died on top of him. And they all kept on dying to make a bridge so one of them can get across. And that was their theory. And I said to myself, you know, what animal is acting like that today? <laughs> Why is that plausible to you to even say that? How could you say that with a straight face? Right? I remember, you know, somebody would say something stupid back in the old cartoons, back in the day. Old cartoons, they do don't—they banned these long ago, right? In the old cartoons, somebody would say something stupid and they have, you know, <laughs> they'll turn it into a circle and it'll say Jack A on there, right? And every time somebody said that on TV, I wish that would appear on them, you know? This is just stupid. Here's the third truth they ignore. The world is preserved by God. The world is preserved by God. I think we all as Christians need to get into that understanding, that this world is preserved by God. You know what that keeps us from believing? Stuff like global warming. Stuff like the world was going to be destroyed by nuclear disaster. Stuff like there's going to be a super virus that kills us all. Why? It's not because those things are not possible. It's because God won't allow it. God is actively preserving this world. And what is he preserving this world for? The fourth truth, this world will certainly be destroyed by fire. This world will certainly be judged. And that's an unmistakable truth. You see, the promise of Christ's return is not a theoretical exercise. It's a practical reality. It should help us determine how we should live today. It's not something that we sit there and we argue about, theory about. And God's word should be believed because of his track record. Not only does it plot the course of history and predict the coming of Christ, it even predicts his own skeptics. And so when you have the word of God, what you have is something that's continued to prove itself time and time again. And so since it's reliable in the past, you should trust it in the future. You know, I was listening to a financial broadcast and they made this interesting point about the financial markets. They said, you know, The people who run our financial systems, they said there wouldn't be inflation. And they said the economy wouldn't go down. And they've been wrong about everything ever since, so why would you trust them to be able to fix it? And his point was, their record shows that they don't know what they're doing. And I happen to agree with him. But whether you agree with them or not, the point is your track record is important. God's track record is perfect. He predicted the flood will come, and the flood did come. He predicted that Israel will be destroyed, and Israel was destroyed. He predicted that Christ will come, and Christ did come. Now he's predicting that he will return. And so, what should we do? Oh, you're wrong. If you think he's wrong, you will be a fool. You will be a fool. I don't doubt somebody that's right nine out of nine times when they give me their 10th prediction. Now, the next question we got to ask is this. I get you, Brian. I get what you're saying. God will return. And he's going to judge this world. I get that. But why hasn't it happened yet? We was asking this at Sunday school, right? Sister Katrina was asking that. In a a way she was asking that. Why hasn't it happened yet? Or when will it happen? And Peter answers that question. He says, do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is a thousand years and a thousand years is one day. You got to understand this. There's three things about timing that we need to understand. He says, first, don't overlook this. right? Don't be like those scoffers and overlook God's perfect track record. Don't be like that. Don't ignore the facts. The first truth is this. God sees history as a broader scope than we do. He says a thousand years is like a day. God sees time in a way broader scope. God's plans are way more complex than our plans could ever be. You know what? If I plan something for three days, it's a hard thing for me to make that happen. But God is planning all of history. He sees things at a way broader scope. But then there's another detail, and a lot of people miss this. He says, one day is a thousand years. God sees things in finer detail. Than we ever see. He's the perfect artist. You know what happened with artists? Artists, a lot of times, when they draw something, they sometimes will not put as much detail in things you don't pay attention to. But think about the fact that God created the world, and before there was even a microscope, he already had built atoms. And built a little electrons around atoms. And everything in the world that we see is built out of atoms. And smaller things than that, God has built. In other words, God has put detail in things where we will not even look to see that detail. But he put it in just because he's the perfect artist. Somebody might say, well, you know, what's going on under the ground? Underneath our church, where nobody will ever look, there's animals living under there. Little worms digging, little tunnels, little details, little rocks. Every grain of dirt is uniquely drawn by God because he sees things in finer detail than we'll ever see. And at the same time as he counts every little hair on every one of our heads, he also knows the population of the whole world. God sees things in finer detail and he sees things in wider scope than we ever could. That's the first truth. The second thing is that God is not slow. He's patient. God is not slow. He's patient. He says, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his as Some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. There's two ways of taking this, and they both are true. One way of saying is that God is holding back that day, even though he is angry, even though he wants to judge his world. He's holding back that day out of mercy for more people to be saved. But another way of looking at it is he's holding back that day till that last soul that will be saved is saved. And when that last person is saved, he says, I'm done. No more need to show mercy. No more need. They over there killing my saints, doing everything they want to do. I've given them plenty of warnings. All the people that's going to be saved, they're going to be saved. It's done now. Here's a third truth God is patient, but his patience is not infinite. His judgment will come with surprising suddenness and intensity. He says, But on the day the Lord will come like a thief. And then the heavens will pass away with a roar and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and earth and the works that are on it will be exposed. You see, God will warn us. But when he does what he does, it's still going to be shocking and surprising. God could say, now it's going to be shocking and surprising for two reasons. One is because the immensity of God's power is just breathtaking to behold. But the other reason is because some people don't trust the word of the Lord. God can show up on CNN and say, I'm going to be there tomorrow at 7, and when seven o one comes, people are going to be surprised when he's there. Because some people don't trust the word of God. And so they'll always be surprised by his judgments, no matter how much he predicts what he's going to do. He always gives warnings, but they're not always heeded. But the other reason it's surprising is because of just how breathtaking his power is, and when he does it, it just happens. You know, creation, you know, Genesis 1 is shocking in a lot of ways. He said, let there be light, and then all of a sudden it was. That's shocking. Let there be a sun, all of a sudden there's a sun. You know how big the sun is? But he just said, let there be a sun, and there just was one. The sun is not only big, it's of immense complexity. Can you make a fire that won't go out for thousands of years? That's what the sun is. It's just a machine that keeps on burning just to provide light for us. Wow. You know that there are storms and different things that happen on the sun? They have things called sunspots and hot spots, right? There's little areas that are sun that's hotter than others and cooler than others, and those affect the weather. All of that complexity, but he just said, I'll make one thing to rule the day and one thing to rule the night, sun and moon. There they are. It's amazing in its suddenness. But it did happen. So, what can we say about this section? It's not that God doesn't understand time like we do. Some people falsely say, well, God don't look at time like we do. Well, that's true. But it's not that he doesn't understand it like we do. It's just that he understands it better. He's not slow, he's patient. He's not hesitant, it's just not yet. But then look at verse 11 through 13. It's the consequences of the Lord's return. He said, since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lines of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn? (laughs) But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. If all this will be dissolved, and you know, and I was thinking about this almost as an an investment strategy. What if you knew that something would go to zero? Would you put your money in it? I wouldn't. If you know this world is going to be dissolved, should you put all your money in this? Should you put all your energy in this world? God is telling you it's going to zero. How should you invest? He says, what kind of holiness or godliness should you have knowing that these things will be dissolved? How holy should you be? Right? Should you try to measure it out? I'll come a little bit. Yeah, I'll give $3 in the offering. Is it worth enough for you to give your all? He says, Are you hastening today? Hastening the day. And another way of putting that is Are you going to warn people to flee from the wrath to come? Are you going to warn people that the fire is coming? Do you take it seriously? You know, we've been going through the plagues on Sunday morning. And my father has been doing some great sermons on that. And you notice that one of the plagues had some hail coming down, and it was some people who heeded God's word, and they brought their people out from the outside because they took God's word and took it seriously. Some people didn't. And guess what? Lots of people died because of that. Are you taking God's word seriously? He said it's going to be worse than a hell. It's going to be hell. Are you taking his word seriously to warn other people? Or are you just saying, well, they believe what they believe and I believe what I believe. Is it really that casual to you? Then he says, will you trust his promise? He says, but according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Are you trusting in his promise? Do you trust that God will remake this earth? Are you trusting that God is going to remake the heavens and make a place where good can dwell? Will you turn on the news? Do you say to yourself, Milwaukee might be done for. But I want to live in a better city. I want to live in a city where I don't have to worry about who wins the next election. I don't have to worry about the ads on TV. I don't have to worry about being scammed or if I bought a Kia and the Kia boys. I don't want to worry about when the light turns green should I still go or not. I don't want to worry about my kids Crossing the street to somebody, not stopping. I don't want to have to worry about sending my kids to school and they teaching them that a boy could be a girl. I don't want to have to worry about these things. One day, one day, the Lord will make a home fit for us. And so, the message of this section is this. Jesus' return means we must change who we are. We must have a sense of urgency and seriousness because the reality of this judgment. You know, a lot of people say, well, God will accept me for who I am. You know, there's some truth to that. You come to church, you could be anything, and we will receive you. But God's work is transformational. And so while we may receive you as you are, you should not leave as you came. You ought to be being transformed. The God who could create this universe out of nothing can create you into a new being out of what you are right now. So don't come into the church and say, hey, this is just how I am. Because I will agree with you and say that is how you are. But what is God making you? Oh, I just got lust. I've always been like that. That's true. How is God going to make you to be a chaste man? Oh, you know, I'm gay. Well, how is God going to make you not act on those impulses? Oh, I'm a drunk. How is God going to make you be sober minded, self controlled, dignified, sound in faith and love and doctrine? How is he going to transform you is what I want to see. How can I see the proof that God acted on you instead of you just being the same old guy? Because if you are the same old guy, God didn't do nothing to you. I'm sorry to say. See, the people I met, they're not the same when they meet God. God is too powerful for you to meet and you act the same old way. Be the same old way. Like the same old things. Have the same old values. If you take his return seriously, you gotta transform. And then look at this last section. Be diligent. You know, I could have put some more hip hop spin on these sections. I could have put, for the first section, I could have put, don't mind the haters. And for this last section, I could have said, don't get it twisted. And you know, I'm gonna say that the reason I could have said, don't get it twisted is because. He first says, be diligent, right? And he's telling them to work. But then look at the things that they could possibly twist. In verse 15, he says, And count the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given to him, as he does in all his letters when he speaks to them of these matters. There are some things in them that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction, as they do the other scriptures. You therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you are not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your stability. But grow in grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and and to the day of eternity. Amen. He says first, be diligent and work. He says, be found in him. Inside him. You know, there's a lot of people who have this false belief and I meet them every day. They think they can follow God and not be in his church. How are you going to be found in him when you're not with his people? You know, he said, be found in him in purity and in peace. How are you going to be at peace by yourself? That's not peace. He's not calling you to be at peace at home. He's calling you to be at peace in the church. He's not calling you to be pure by yourself. He's calling you to be pure as you deal with other saints in the church. He says, count the patience of God as salvation. Don't twist God's patience into acceptance of your lifestyle. It's an opportunity to repent. He says, pay attention to the scriptures. Don't twist Paul's writings, even though they may be difficult, into suiting your own ends. If you don't understand it, just admit, I don't understand it. Brother, I was reading through the book of Romans and it was hard for me to get Amen, brother. Romans is hard. Let's work on that together. Brother, I was reading through the book of Revelations and I had to admit it was It was tough. Brother, I went to Brother Dale's class before I went there. I, I was I was afraid to go through the book of Daniel, especially towards the end. I didn't know what I was reading. Well, praise God for you, brother. Let's wrestle with that together. There's an element of Christianity that involves wrestling with God. And guess what? Sometimes that wrestling does not produce answers. Now what I'm saying is a hard truth, but I'm preaching. When I tell you that I'm preaching, God doesn't always provide answers. Sometimes, though, the process of wrestling is what he wants. That process of struggle. You know, Jacob wrestled with God. And after he got done wrestling with God, he was wrestling with God because he didn't know if he should go see his brother or not. He didn't know what he should be doing or not. He didn't know if he did the right thing or not. And you know, God didn't give him no answer. He just wrestled with him. And that happened to give an example to us that sometimes God wants us to wrestle with He wants us to struggle because Christianity is not meant to be easy. It is meant to be a challenge. But by that struggle, we become refined and we become someone new. And at the end of that wrestling match, what did he do? He gave him a name. He gave him a new name. And the symbol of a new name is to say, you became a new person. And sometimes it's worth wrestling with God because he will give us a new name. So he says, don't follow the lawless those who refuse to submit authority. I'm giving examples, and maybe it's going to make somebody mad, but that's okay. Don't listen to people who don't go to church. Don't Don't listen to people who are not submissive to their parents, to their husbands, to the rules. Don't listen to deviants. What do I mean by deviants? Deviants are people who take things that are good and twist them into something that's bad. Because if you do, you'll lose your stability. He says, grow instead. The whole point of this passage, this last section is be diligent in the things of God and put your goals last and put his will first. Now, if you look at chapter three as a total, what he's talking about is external enemies, right? He's talking about scoffers. And in chapter two, he's looking at internal enemies, false preachers. And then in chapter one, he's looking at spiritual enemies, He's saying, add to your faith this, add this, add this, so that you might grow. And the whole point of this book is God's prophetic word is true. So be diligent to keep it and watch out for those who pervert it or oppose it. Listen to the word of the Lord because it's true. Now, just a few points of application before we close. You know, this passage preaches against complacency and scoffers. It preaches a sense of urgency. It teaches us to ignore those who try to undermine the work of God, not with their arguments, but just making fun of it. This passage teaches us not to twist the things of God. A lot of times when I hear studies in the last days, I just hear people twisting things to promote their ideology. And I've come to this conclusion that any study of the last days that does not focus on practical living is just a vain exercise. Because God always talks about his coming for a reason. Why did he come? He's coming to judge the world. So since he's coming to judge the world, what did Peter say? What kind of person should we be? That's practical. Practical. He's not saying, oh, yeah, so now I can say it's going to happen in 2035. Buy my latest book. The third application is don't misunderstand God's timing. You know, it's true of the end, but it's true in everything else in your life, too. You might be in here waiting for a wife or waiting for a husband, God's timing is not your timing. You might be waiting for a child or not waiting for a child. God's timing is not your timing. You might be waiting for somebody to listen to God's word finally. You might see God moving in them, but you don't know why it's taking so long. Trust God. You got to ask yourself, who knows better, me or him? The fourth point of application is be diligent, grow. Grow. I've noticed that when, throughout this book, there are several parts where he says something along the lines of be diligent in God's word. And the biggest thing about the end times is it shall make us work so that we come to that day worthy. I think the fifth point is the world is in God's hands. He got the whole world, Right? In his hands, that kid's song, but that's so true. We're scared about the future because we think about the world being in somebody else's hands. But it's in God's hands. And so we ought to trust in him. It might be scary what he's going to do, but ultimately, what does scripture say? He works everything for our good. Remember the scriptures. Remember the predictions of the prophets and the commands of the apostles and who they point to. Jesus said, this is all scriptures speak of me. All scriptures point to the ministry of Christ. And lastly, look at Jesus. Jesus' return is the main thing in focus. You know, a lot of sermons focus on Jesus on the cross. That's not bad to focus on that. That's a good thing. But this one is focusing on Jesus' return, which is just as important. Jesus' lordship through his apostles, right? He says the commandments of the apostles through the commandment of the Lord and Savior through your apostles is what he says. Why is the Lord commanding through his apostles? It's to prepare for his return. Why does this passage talk about the the Lord's eternality, the Lord's patience, the Lord's wrath? It's to explain how he's going to return and the timing of it. Why does this passage talk about the promises of God? And so we will be certain that he will return. All of this is to say he will return. He is coming. And so. The last word. Listen to the word of the Lord. Listen and prepare for his return. Prepare today. Today. Prepare today while there's still time. Prepare today while there's still hope. Turn to the Lord. Turn from your ways. Confess your sins today so he will have mercy on you when he returns. Because he will return. And every knee will bow. And every tongue will confess. And whether that confessing and that bowing does you any good, is determined by if you're on his team when he returns. You need to turn to the Lord today, lest your heart be hardened and you be unable to return. The door is open, but there's no guarantee it's going to stay. Turn to the Lord today. Dear Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your truths. We pray that you just bless us all to heed your warning. I pray that you just bless us, Lord, that we will pay attention to your word and your will. That we would change our ways today, that we would treat your warnings seriously, Lord, because they are serious, because they will come true. I pray all these things in your name. Amen.